Hello, and welcome to the Sound Up Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Cartwright, joined, as always, by my co-host... Sleepy John Carey. That is right. It is 9.30 in the morning on December 30th. We are trying to get this out before the Pac-12 championship, and we hope it is good for you guys. Um, obviously, we're going to talk a lot about the Pac-12 championship. We'll talk Seahawks this week. Well, the college football playoff. Sorry, game. yeah, college football playoff. I'm, it's it's going to feel like a Pac-12 championship when it's <laughs> over, though. It's 9.30 for me, too. I'm tired. <laughs> we don't know who's going to win. We just know a Pac-12 team is going to represent in the college football championship. That's all we know. Yeah. Um, so we'll talk that. We'll talk Mitch Garver signing for the Mariners. Um, and then we'll talk a little Seattle news because we're still trying to do that. And we're amazing at this. Uh, but as always, before we get started, a little Coyote Picnic. All right, let's talk Seattle sports news. John, the first thing that I want to talk about is the Seattle Kraken. Since we last talked, we called them out on their BS. They were fifth in the Pacific Division and have since won four straight games. So we're not looking, or we're looking a little hotter. They're on a little hot streak. Um, They have beat the Los Angeles Kings, the Anaheim, I believe that's Ducks, and Calgary Flames and the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, to get back to 14, 14, and 9. So technically, 500 in the, by the stats. Yes. They've still got 9 more losses than wins. By the NHL standings, they are they're 14 and 14 in, in regular time games. Yes. Um, and then, so they've jumped the Edmonton team uh, from and gotten to 4th. I think there's a pretty big jump that's going to have to be taken if they're going to pass the Kings, the Vegas Knights, and the Vancouver Canucks. Um, who all are 7 and 12 points ahead. Um, But they did pass Edmonton and Calgary and take a decent lead. Um, They have a four-point lead on that fifth spot. So if they can continue this hot streak, they might be able to jump into that third spot and overtake the Kings. Uh, It's just record-wise, it's a little tough. The Kings have 20 wins and eight losses. Um, not as many. No, nobody has nearly as many overtime losses as us. So yeah, we are absolutely dominating in the entire Western Conference. We have nine overtime losses. The yep. next closest is the Golden Knights at five. We are almost doubling the next conf- in conference team in overtime losses, and that's the big thing I wanted to talk about. You are right. This has been a great stretch, four wins in a row. Props to the Kraken, but. The real issue has been the overtime games. I went back and looked just now. I was curious. Uh, they have a total of three wins in overtime, including, you know, shootouts and regular just overtime wins. They have nine losses. They are three and nine in overtime, which is, a, you know, <laughs> a period you go to when a game has been very competitive and tight for the entire time. So you'd expect somebody's overtime record to be roughly 500. Um, and even if it was, they would still be below 500 in total games. But I just think that is obviously something that needs to be cleaned up. Um, if you take out their three overtime wins and just ignored all overtime, it'd be 11 and 14. And that'd be a much more respectable season than what they're having so far. So a lot of their issues seem to be coming in the extra period. I don't necessarily know why that is. I, I don't think it's an issue that, like, 
they're not they're, nine. they're not supposed to be good but if you get to overtime you get a point it's not necessarily about winning overtime at that point absolutely you think the players on the ice are thinking no, well guys we got a point but you'd rather get to overtime against the knights than just straight up lose correct but i would rather get to overtime against the knights and win roughly 50% of the time yeah but some of that comes down to they were really good at those overtime wins last year and getting you know winning a one score game like yeah. the mariners did and yeah. you know Water this is its yeah, it finds its level but um, regardless, it's a nice stretch by them. I'd love to see them keep it up. Um, yeah, Decord's been really good at, as the as the main goalie. He's kind of taken over Grubauer's spot. Um, yeah, just a, just a good stretch for the for the uh, Kraken, and we're hoping they can continue against uh, Vegas on Monday. Yeah, it's been a defensive stretch too. They've allowed one, two, one, and one goals during this stretch, which is how they've won four straight despite scoring three goals only once. You know they have three wins in four games where they scored two goals, which is not going to cut it long-term. But if the defense keeps looking like this, then maybe it will work. Yeah, and they've won six of their last eight, and the two losses were in overtime. They lost in a shootout to the Kings and a shootout or in overtime to the Stars. So really well-played last couple weeks by them. <laughs> well, it's, you know, you got to be careful where you're drawing the line and counting forward because before that, they'd lost five in a row. <laughs> well, before that, they'd lost eight in a row. So. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, let's just focus on these last eight. Um, small, small steps, I guess. I'm still wary, but we'll see where it goes from here. If they can rip off another, you know, if they can win five of their next seven, that would be encouraging. Hockey's kind of like baseball and the streakiness of it. I think it's a lot less like football or basketball. Agreed. Agreed. That, that's definitely it. It's it's played more like basketball, but in terms of the wins and losses, it does seem to look more like baseball. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, anything else you wanted to say on our on our boys on the ice? No, no. I think I, I'm excited for this Vegas game. Yes, it will be telling. We the last Vegas game you and I watched. We had a lot of hope and we're a little disappointed. So uh, it'd be nice uh, to flip that expectation on its head. Yep. Um, some other basketball news on the on the college front. UW and Wazoo lost to U- Colorado and Utah respectively yesterday. Um, Pac-12 doing its thing. Pac-12 beating up on each other. Wazoo falls to nine and three, so not not awful by any means. Um, and Washington falls to eight and four. Um, Do you know what either of them are in Ken Palm? Obviously. These losses won't be counted in whatever those standings are, but do you know where either of those teams sit? No, I don't have it. I reckon somewhere that. around fifty in the country. Yeah, yeah. I think I think Wazoo is going to be ending up around the like ninety mark. Okay. Um. Yeah, I don't think they'll be great by any means. Uh, by the end of the season, they've played a pretty soft, soft schedule. Okay. Pre-season. I was like, hey, nine and three sounds pretty good, but yeah, yeah it all matters who the who the nine and who the three are. Yeah. Um. Speaking of of nine and three teams, uh. The Gonzaga Bulldogs lost again to fall to 9-4. Nine, nine um, they lost to the San Diego State Aztecs. Is that right? Yep. Um, in a really well-played but frustrating game that I watched last night. Um, watched with a lot of my Zag friends, and we were all very sad. Um, just another just another great loss by this Gonzaga basketball team. This team's great at accumulating good losses. They've lost to... UConn and Purdue, which are two of the best losses in college basketball. And then UW was a tough one. And then San Diego State's ranked 30th in Kempom. So they're right outside of being ranked. And I don't understand how they're not ranked. Well, they're 10-2 and two now. They are going to be ranked next week. I'll yeah. tell you what. And Gonzaga is, is in line for another drop. They dropped to 15 after the UW loss, which I was astounded by. I thought they had dropped to like 23. Um, 
and they climbed all the way back up to 13 before this. I don't understand how they can still be in the teens, man. They just they'll be they'll be twenty. Their or something. best win is against UCLA. Like at some point, once again, they're just stacking good losses, but they're just not stacking any good wins. You only get so many shots at good teams, and you got to win one of them. Yeah. Um. So I, I'm pretty disillusioned about this team, particularly our guard play. I think it's pretty obvious what the problem is, and it's Nemhard and uh, Hickman just aren't good enough to be the two best and basically only two guards on a college basketball team. Um, it's a bummer that uh, we lost Salas and, and some other pieces this offseason. Yeah, I think, first of all, San Diego State's really good. We, yeah. we dubbed them in overtime when we played them. Nice. They're just like long, athletic, and just you know run the floor. And I yeah. think it's tough when you have long, athletic guards against Nemhard and Hickman, who are very small. small. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think they did the same thing to UW with Wheeler and Mulcahy. So it's just been a good team. San Diego State's a very good team, but definitely a, a tough stretch for Gonzaga. Yeah. Um. All right. Let's get into the the, the main bulk, the main dish of the pod, um, the main entree, if you will. Let's talk college football playoff. I had to think mm. about that for a second. Let's talk <laughs> Pac-12 championship. Um. Well, I'm excited. UW plays Texas on New Year's Day at, what is it locally, 5 p.m.? For us, it'll be 5.45 in Seattle. In New Orleans, it'll be 8.45. Correct. And you're going to the game. Your boot's on the ground. Yes, I will be leaving tonight. Yeah, he got his he got his media pass, so he's going to be on the field. Mm-hmm. I'll talk to the players. players. Yeah. Penix, yeah, Penix and I go way back. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the big outline for this game is that Texas is currently favored. Um, they're favored by four points, which is a lot of points. I would have loved to see that at two or two and a half, but it's moved. I think a little bit recently up to two and a half. I think I think people jumped on that UW plus four. Yeah, uh, but yeah, continue. So, and the reason for that is pretty obvious. Texas, in terms of offensive production, is very similar to UW. UW's averaging thirty-eight points a game on offense. Texas is averaging thirty-six. So. They're close. And then defensively, you know, Texas was 13th in the country, allowing teams to score about 17 a game. And Washington was 52nd in the country at 24 a game. Um, So when you look at those, you can just smush those two stats together and you can literally see where the four points come from. Um, I still just don't really buy it, though. I think two things. These are my two big thesis points and then. I want to hear you talk about this for a while because obviously you're the UW guy. But my two big thesis points are this UW offense has be has been yet to really been slowed down by anybody. Good for Texas that they're the 13th best defense in the country. We put up big points against Oregon twice, who has a undoubtedly better defense than Texas, undoubtedly. Um, and the second thing is, I'm not sure you really want to compare these two offenses. I understand that the points per game production was pretty similar. When you just break it down by position, you really start to see the separation. Quinn Ewers is a really nice quarterback, might be a better NFL prospect than Michael Penix Jr., but he has not had the year Penix has. He's, he's thrown for 3,100 yards, so a full 1,000 yards less than Penix, and 21 TDs, which is 10 or 20 less than Penix. How many did Penix throw this year? 33. So yeah, 10 yet, 10 less touchdowns. Their two receivers 
the best of their two star receivers is, you know, 90, 970 yards, which is 500 yards less than Penix. And, what, eight less touchdowns? And that's that's their best receiver. Their second best receiver doesn't even compare to Polk. So, I just think it's obvious. Yeah, their best receiver is having a worse season than Jalen Polk. I'll put it that way. Yeah. So our receiving class is undoubtedly better. And then their running back and Dylan Johnson have basically the exact same stats. DJ has a couple more rushing touchdowns. Adonai, no, not Adonai, Jonathan Brooks, their running back, has a couple more receiving touchdowns. Um, But other than that, their stats are very, very, very similar. So um, running games are essentially a push, even though, I, I personally believe that DJ could have had an even bigger season if we would have leaned on him more. So just looking at that, I think our offense is better. I think we have yet to look the defense in the face that is capable of slowing this offense down in any real way. Um, and I don't think Texas is that defense. I like where your head's at. Um, Talk me down. No, no, no. This is good. So I was... I was watching some college football, you know, watching some college football games, and they would talk about the the UW Texas game at halftime. And the main point that they would always say is Texas has 16 interceptions. That's tied for eighth in the country, right? So I looked at the stats, and I was like, "Huh, that seems like you know a lot, considering they've played 13 games. 16 interceptions in 13 games is a decent amount." Uh, and then I looked at UW, and UW has 16 interceptions in 13 games, and it's like. The the supposed bias in that regard of trying to present this point but not presenting the other side of it, which is UW has the same amount of interceptions and has won one more game um, and playing in a uh, passing style league, you know, obviously the Pac-12 is just the bigger West Coast offense type thing. So they're making bigger impacts um, in the receiving front. I think the interceptions that Texas has had in the past defense is not nearly as good as UW's. And if Texas is going to keep up in that regard, they're going to need really big games from their cornerbacks, um, which I just don't see happening as much. I think their linebackers are really good, but that's not where UW throws the ball. UW doesn't really throw the ball over the middle. They try and get it to the to the sidelines and run deep routes. Um, so I think that's going to be a really nice matchup for UW. I also think the running game for Texas is a little bit better than you were talking about. Obviously, their number one run running back, Brooks, has about the same stats as uh, Dylan Johnson, but they've got three other running backs who've had a lot of touches. Baxter and Blue and Robinson have all, all have a decent amount of yards. Um, Baxter as a secondary running back has almost 600 yards. Our secondary running back, Nixon, has almost 200. I was going to say, like, yeah, nothing. They've got a much more spread out defense. That does explain why, why Ken Quinn Ewers has so many less yards than Penix. They're yes. obviously relying more on their running game. So good call there. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be a big... Part of a uh, part of the game for UW is being able to stop the run and prevent any of them from getting going, which has not thing. been necessarily the UW strong suit this yes. year. Yes, yeah. Um, and another side of that is, I was looking at the statistics because you know Quinn Ewers doesn't have nearly as many yards, nearly as many touchdowns, but if they're scoring the same amount of points, what is happening? Texas kicks field goals. They've got twice as many field goal attempts as us, and they've connected on twenty eight. So twenty eight of the thirty four. Great, fantastic. I, yeah, they should kick six field goals in this game and see what happens. <laughs> well, yeah, like that's going to cut it against this <laughs> UW offense. Are you kidding me? Well, so I'm thinking, 
what they're going to need to do is they're or they're more comfortable kicking a field goal from 35 yards out. Right. UW's not going to do that. No, they're not. UW's going to go for it if they're on fourth down and three. They're going to score fucking touchdowns is what they're going to do. I, I, if if Texas kicks four field goals in this game, I'm going to be laughing my head off. That is not going to fucking cut it. Well, so that's the thing. It's we're going to have to score in the red zone, I think, and that's going to be where UW hasn't been super strong necessarily. They kind of just chuck it to Dunze on the sideline and hope he can beat his his cornerback or defensive back. It's worked pretty well. It's worked pretty well so far. And I think Texas is of the same caliber as Oregon, which Adunze was able to do just as well in terms of their defensive back play. Do you think Texas is of the same caliber as Oregon? I don't think Oregon is the gold standard of defensive backs by any means. Like, I think they're both pretty decent, but I don't think they're, you know, they're I, I thought you were talking about overall no, defense because no, no. yeah. they've got a better pass rush than Texas does. Yeah. That's one thing I wanted to mention too. I guess, finish your point. Yeah, I, I just think scoring in the red zone is going to be huge because Texas is so comfortable kicking field goals. But if we get pushed back at all, like if we if Penix takes a sack at the 20 and we end up at the 30, I don't know that we trust Grady Gross to kick a field goal nearly as much. Like obviously he's going to take that kick. Yeah. But he's just not as accurate, hasn't taken nearly as many kicks this season. And I think that's that's going to be something that's important if we can take the 3 in certain situations, which versus I feel like Texas is more comfortable just kicking a field goal in any situation. I I see what you're saying there. I could I see how that could bite us where if, if we're both getting forced into similar situations, that would be an advantage to them. On the flip side, if Texas is a team that relies on four to five field goals a game to put up their thirty six points, if they're, you know, twelve of those are consistently coming on field goals, they might get a rude surprise in this game. And when they go down on their opening drive and kick a field goal and we score a touchdown. And then they go go down on another drive and kick a field goal, and we score another touchdown. And now we're up two possessions, and they're like, wait, what the fuck? We just scored on two straight possessions. Man, I, we have seen some good UW games and some bad UW games. We've seen close games. Not a single team has beaten this UW team, uh, and nobody's even gotten close by trying to beat us with field goals. That's just... It hasn't happened. Yeah. What I don't want is for us to turn into Oregon in the first time we played them and go for it on fourth and one from the goal line and fail. Well, yeah, you don't want to fail, but I still think going for it on fourth and one on the goal line is the right decision. Yes, and that's fine. But if that's going to be the difference in the game is us failing a couple fourth downs instead of kicking a field goal, Oregon lost by three that game. They should have won. I'm going to be honest. Oregon had like didn't kick two field goals at the goal line. And they missed the field goal Are you at the end of the game. The first, the first game, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, at the end of the day, that's I just don't want to be Oregon in that scenario where it's like <laughs> we're we're giving up six nine points, yeah, instead of taking them while we can. Um, so that's going to be an interesting decision for DeBoer. I I trust our offense more than I would have trusted Oregon's to Correct. do those to make those decisions. Yes, but with that's going to be something big. With the Dunesay, we've got some a good running game. We've got some big bodies in the red zone, which is really helpful. You're right. You're 100% right. But if you're telling me this game is going to come down to, you know, two fourth and twos on the two-yard line for UW, I feel pretty good about that. I I do too. And I'm, I'm just, that's the one thing that's like concerning me is yes. that's that scenario. And like, and if, if they're fourth and two on the two-yard line and choose to kick a field goal, I am pumping my fist. Yeah, we take those. Correct. That's, that's yeah. a hell of a defensive stop because, yeah. Play, we've been playing a lot against teams like you know Oregon and Oregon State that are not going <laughs> to take the field goal there, and that 
really cranks the pressure up on your defense. So um, another big thing I wanted to talk about, kind of an underrated strength. I really believe this. UW has one of the best offensive lines in football. They won the like award for the best offensive line this season. God damn it. I was hoping that would be a hotter take than it was, but I also <laughs> love statistics backing up my point. That was a pure eye test call. I did not know that they won the, <laughs> won the award for best offensive line. But it's well earned, man. Penix has been very protected all year. And we, we played Oregon twice. Not only did we play a top, I don't know, three or four pass rush in college football, but after they got tape on us, we played them again. And guess what happened in the second game? Penix was sacked once? Yeah. Um, this offensive line has been awesome at protecting the quarterback and opening up holes for Dylan Johnson to run the ball. They've been playing great on in both schemes, which is harder than you'd think. If you're kind of a layman, if you don't watch a ton of professional or college football, really good offensive lines tend to do one or the other. Like, you know, the Cowboys in professional football, their offensive line is famous for pass protection. They're great at protecting the quarterback not as good as at opening up holes for the running game. The Colts offensive line, the opposite. They are not very good at pass protection, but my lord, can they open up, you know, gaps for a running back. So to get an offensive line that can do both is hard and and really speaks to the quality of these players. We've got a couple NFL players on this offensive line. Um, and don't underestimate that as a factor. Don't underestimate how much it's affected Michael Penix. You know, why do you think this guy is so good at hitting big plays? Because he can sit in that pocket. He knows he has time. And these Texas DBs can do what they want. You know, if Penix doesn't like what he's seeing, he's going to move on in his read and look for something else. And he'll have time to do that. Correct. He's not going to try to force something in. We haven't seen him do a lot of those passes all year. And when he has, they've typically gone badly. Um, But he's going to have time to get there. I'm not scared of this Texas pass rush the way I was terrified of Oregon, and they weren't able to get to us. Um, so I think that's going to be a huge, huge point in this offensive versus defense matchup. Yeah, yeah. I just think it's going to be... I, I really think it's going to go down like the Oregon game. Like, I think Oregon and Texas are on a very similar level, similar style of play. Obviously, Bo Nix is a more mobile quarterback, I think. Like, yeah. Bo Nix is a better quarterback in college football than Quinn Ewers. Absolutely, absolutely. Like, Comparing them is, is silly. Quinn, Quinn Ewers is a prospect who's having a solid year, but he hasn't done anything that's mind-blowing this year. Bo Nix, like, broke, did he break the college football record for he might have passing it for percentage? Like wins or passing percentage. Yeah. He's, been in, he's been in college football for eight years now. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, COVID. Um, so, yeah, I think... The, the comparison is is there between those two teams. And obviously that means this game's going to be tough. But what has UW proven time and time again that they can beat anybody that they go up against? Correct. And, you know, people kind of look at UW's stinkers, and they've had some stinkers. You know, Washington State was a disappointing game. Arizona. Obviously, yeah. Arizona and Arizona. Was it Arizona State that almost won? Um, I think it was Arizona where they only scored the touchdown with the the interception. Yeah, but uh, regardless, they've had some real like head scratchers of a game. But we've seen over and over and over again, this team rises to the level of competition. They can also have a nasty tendency to lower to the level of competition, but they kind of only play close games. We haven't gotten as many blowouts as we thought we would this year out of this uh, UW team. 
But uh, I'm not worried about Texas running away with it. This offense is too polished. They are, this offense is just, it's the most I've ever trusted a college football offense, personally. And, you know, there are a lot of great teams I didn't watch nearly as closely as I've watched this UW team. But, like, my trust in this offense to score a touchdown on any given possession is really through the roof. Yeah, the 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 same things that we said for the Oregon game, um, running or running the clock efficiently is going to be huge. Um, when we get if we get a two touchdown lead, we can't be passing. We got to rely on Dylan Johnson to get those first downs, take Correct. time off the clock, things like that. We didn't do enough of that against Oregon. We tried to keep our foot on the gas pedal. Yeah, yeah. They, they got right back in it. Yeah, Penix is going to need to be really good. Winning the turnover margin is going to be huge. Penix has to play smart. We want him to be aggressive, but we need him to know when to be aggressive. It's like his bad throws, you know they're bad immediately. They leave his hand in the direction of a receiver, and you're like, no, not that one. (laughs) Um, So we just need him to avoid those type of mistakes um, because Texas has been pretty clean this year. Yeah, some names that I want to call out uh, for UW on defense that need to have a big game. I think Cameron Fabiklanon, who has two, he had an end game with two interceptions. He was really good in that game. Um, and I think he's one of our cornerbacks that's going to have a really big impact in just like preventing their receivers from getting hot. And I also think Muhammad, Jabbar Muhammad, um, is going to need to have a big game. And then. Well, Do- Dominic Hampton, I think, at cornerback, he's our, he's our best secondary. I player. think, though, those, Muhammad and Fabiklanon are the two like threats to get turnovers. Hampton's more of a like. He's a coverage guy. He's more well. I think he's more of a short. Like you know, if people throw a screen pass, he's going to get there and cover. Um, but the other guy that I want to talk about is Ulafosio. Yeah, Ulafosio. Um, Ed- Edufan. Ulafosio. Um, God, yeah. we, are we brave? We're fucking brave. Bro. <laughs> um, he's got a. Ton, he's our linebacker. He's got a ton of solo tackles. He's kind of that second line. If a running back is to get through, Correct. he's going to need to be huge this game. Three sacks at linebacker too, so we obviously use him in our blitz packages. Um, he needs to be effective at that. Yeah, this this the strength of our defense is definitely our linebacker core. Yeah, between Ulafosio, Carson Bruner, and Alfonso Tupatala, um, we've got some quality linebackers. Our you know DBs and our our defensive linemen aren't necessarily up to that same level. Yeah, but Tri- if, Trice is yeah. some nice NFL talent on the defensive line. Yes, but other than that, there's yeah. not many people. Yeah, as a collective, as a yeah. group. Uh, but if I had to pick one, honestly, I guess in college football you probably go cornerbacks just the way they hug the ball around. But I, I always love building a defense around good lineback, mm-hmm. good linebackers. I think that's part of the reason that this defense has been able to rise to the occasion against certain teams. You know, even if you can hit a team over the top, and even if you can beat them up at the line, when they are like really strong in the middle like that, the way this UW defense is, you know, they can flow backwards, they can flow forwards. It's it's, I think, the most irritating defense to go up against is a defense with great linebackers. Yeah, and we've talked about this in the past, that UW has a very good rotation in their defense that yes. they can get late into the game and still have a massive impact. Yes, um, and that's part of the fact that they don't have necessarily the huge stars yes. that have to be on the field every play. It's like, no, you're out, this guy's in, that guy's out, you're in. And they've, they're all super committed to that style. Correct. And they, yeah, I think they all like it, too, because they all get a play. They all stay fresh, make an impact when you're out there, you know? Yeah, it's going to be... Texas is going to have a rough game. The other side of that that I want to talk about is are the UW defense 
is really good at making solo tackles. And I wouldn't say really good, but that's what they do, I yes. guess. They, they, we have not seen them blow really any big tackles this year. Well, so they, they've, they've done that, but it's to gain 10, 15 yards. It's not a huge missed tackle that's going to cause a touchdown. But what I mean is Texas, if you look at the tackles, most of their top players are getting assist tackles as well. It's not as heavy on the solo tackles that are made by the UW players. If you look at the, the ESPN stats, it's the, the most solo tackles by any player for Texas is 41. UW has a couple players in the 50s. It's mm. like, that's just how it, how it goes for the UW team. Just the way we scheme our D. Yeah. So those, those guys are going to need to have big games and be really good at getting to the running back because I think that's where those tackles come from. I think that also speaks. They probably, UW probably plays a bit more zone than Texas does because when you play zone, you're more in position to be standing on the balls of your feet, yeah. waiting for somebody to, you know, the ball to come out and then just tackling the guy, as opposed to it sounds like Texas might play more man, and then, you know, you get the the two-over coverage coming down and helping with tackles on plays. But yeah. That's speculation. So, a lot going on there. A lot we just unpacked. I want to get our score predictions for this game and the Michigan-Alabama game. I want to see who you think we're going to play and <clears throat> how we think this game is going to go. Um, let's do, let's do Michigan, Alabama first, and then we'll talk the, we'll do this game. Uh, yeah, Michigan, Alabama. I think Michigan or Michigan, I think Alabama and Texas are very similar this year. Their schedules aren't quite as impressive as you may think when you're seeing one loss next to those names. Mm-hmm. Um, Texas is really riding that Alabama win and Alabama is really riding the fact that they're Alabama and they beat Georgia. Yeah. The Georgia win was really big for their reputation, but, um, uh, I think Michigan's a more complete team than this Alabama team. I think Alabama could win. The line is currently Michigan minus two. I think that's a little disrespectful to Michigan. They've really controlled every game they've been in. You think it should be bigger? You think it should be like minus four? Correct. I think Michigan beats Alabama. I think they beat them um, thirty-one to twenty. Really? Okay. Uh, I'll give it. I'll give them thirty-one twenty-four. I think it's a, a seven-point game. Gotcha. Yeah, I think it could come down to the wire in that regard where they need, Alabama needs a big score at the end. Yeah. This Michigan defense is for real. Yeah. They're the scariest defense in the playoff, I think, by a decent margin. Alabama's got some really good players, but the Michigan defense is just suffocating. It really is. The way they were able to slow down Ohio State, I think, was really, really telling. That Ohio State offense is like pro-ready in a lot of ways. You say that, and then Ohio State scored three points in their bowl game against Missouri last night. But You're kidding. I mean, I, I'm sure Harrison didn't play. I was going to say, I bet a bunch of their guys didn't play. Yeah. Um, I think bowl games are not representative of how a team actually played. But. Yeah, the Ohio State does not play bowl games. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but with that being said, I think this Alabama team, yeah, a little overrated. They, they certainly have the ability to upset and to swing momentum on a dime and suddenly – you're nervous and they're excited and things can go downhill. But uh, I just think this Michigan team has a suffocating defense and an offense that plays very conservatively and will score some points and will take advantage of the mistakes that their defense generates. Um, they do not make a lot of mistakes on offense, which Alabama loves to you know pick on offensive mistakes. And I just don't think they're going to get many. Yeah. Uh, Alabama for me is... Good, but I agree with you. Michigan is Michigan's defense is that much better, and Alabama. God, I hate that they're ranked number four. To be honest, the fact that they're cl- they had close games against Auburn and Arkansas. These teams are that are maybe five hundred. They should have lost. They should have lost. They should have lost to Auburn. They won by Auburn. three to Arkansas. 
they lost to Texas handily, I think, early in the season. I just yeah. think they, they're on a hot streak, but they're not winning games by a lot. And I think what it comes down to it is Alabama's not good enough to compete with Michigan right now. Michigan's defense, like Michigan has scored 30 to 35 points a game every game. Correct. And their defense is one of the best in college football. Yes. And I think Alabama's offense is potent, but... But it's, it's also bipolar. Yeah. It will come and go. Milrow is going to throw two interceptions this game. And I think... That's a great... I mean, that's a good gambling thing. I, yeah. I bet you I bet you he's currently he's probably like, sitting at like half an interception. It's probably like one and a half and the line is, you know, plus 150 or something. Pound that line. <laughs> Milrow's against this defense. The pressure's going to be on. I think two picks is very, very possible. Yeah. Uh, so I, I see this being like a 34... 27 game. Wow, you're literally just copying my line. But and adding three points. Flying <laughs> stage shape, you fucker. Um, I almost said 34-30, but I just don't think it's going to be that close. For the record, that is way over the projected total of 45 points. I would pound it over 45 points. I that Yeah. I think you might be underestimating a little bit how good both these defenses are and how adequate both of these offenses are. I think a big reason Michigan's put up so many points per game is because their defense just keeps giving them the ball on the opponent's 40, you know? It's hard not to put up points in those situations. But against this Alabama defense, we we might see like a 23-point outing from Michigan. The thing is, I could also see a 13-point outing from Alabama. Yeah, it could be. it could come down to being like, three turnovers for one team and two turnovers for another and just be kind of a sloppy game. Yeah. Which... Also, with both two defenses of this caliber and with these being the strong suits of the team, if it's, you know, fourth and three and Michigan's on the Alabama 40, they're probably going to punt. They're probably going to try to pin them on the one. Like, obviously, almost everybody in the pros in college would go for it in that situation. But in this game, I think both teams are going to play very conservatively offensively to allow their defense to try and control the game. Yeah, it's going to be a take some shots early, see if you can catch them sleeping, and then if you can't, just, you know, defensive hold out, and it's going to be 10-7. But you still think they're going to combine for 65 points? Yeah. Mad man. I'm all in. All right, uh, UW Texas, over under 63.5, which is more appropriate for the scores that we're guessing. Yep. Um Texas favored by three and a half currently, what I'm looking at. Um, Actually, yeah, four, three and a half, four. Yeah. What do you want? You know, to win, obviously. I think that's, we've been speaking about this, like that's going to happen, and I think it's going to happen. For the record, listen to our podcast about both Oregon games. We were much more lukewarm. I feel better about this Texas game than I did about either Oregon game. Yes. I My confidence has been buoyed. This team is healthy. Like, we're not being homers. Like, when we were worried, we expressed our concern. And we talked about it constantly. McMillan is back. He's been, he's had a month he to was heal. Huge. He's he was huge. He was the best in player game. in that Oregon game. Yeah. And so the fact that he's back and he, he was out he, after the Michigan State games, we basically didn't play the entire regular season and still has over 100 yards a game. Correct. Not, not for the entire season, but yeah, in those four games, games he's, played. he's had over 100 yards a game, which is awesome. That's, yeah. a, that's a three receiver tandem of almost 100 yards a game from Polk and over 100 yards a game from those from McMillan and Odunze. So just to clarify, we've got like a top three NFL wide receiver like to be drafted in Odunze. Our second best receiver of the season, Jalen Polk, is better statistically than either of their two best receivers. And McMillan, our third guy, just coming back, 
he might be better than Polk. He's, be- he's better than Polk. He was ranked 85 in just like all of college football. Correct. In terms he of was player. supposed to be our best receiver this yeah. year. Adunze was supposed to be more of the bruiser, and McMillan was supposed to be the, the go-to third-down guy. Um, obviously, Adunze's taken off like a rocket ship. Yeah. But, uh, that's a really good point. McMillan, yeah, I think... He's going to be a huge X factor. In this it's game. going to be tough for Texas to watch tape on him too. Like they've got four games of him, but they're right. going to be looking at Adunze as the big threat and Polk as kind of the third down threat. And mm-hmm. that's just not how the offense is going to run with no. McMillan back. So I, I would not be surprised to see McMillan go over 100 yards again. He was everywhere in big moments in that Oregon game, kind of reclaiming that third down role. Yeah, open stuff up for Adunze. God, I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so what are you what are you so, Score predictions. I think that UW is going to win this by more than a touchdown. I think it's going to be UW 38, Texas 28. I I love that. I love that call. I love you predicting that UW's going to score 38 points, which I think is very reasonable. Like the gloves might be coming off. We, it's been a while since we've seen like a really pure start to finish game by this UW offense. Even that win against Oregon, they were brilliant in the first half, and then came out in the third quarter like a bag of farts and just let Oregon right back into it, and then closed out brilliantly. If they play four brilliant quarters against Texas, thirty-eight's a minimum. Yeah. Um, obviously, we'll see if they do, but. I think that's super reasonable, and I'm so glad you took that because if you picked UW by like one, I was going to have to pick UW by ten because <laughs> I do think that is a real possible outcome for this game. But I'll go ahead and dial it back a little bit and say uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go 35-31 UW, and I think it's a game-winning touchdown drive that seals it. I think. I think it's close to the end. Yeah, it? Texas takes the lead 31-28. And for the fifth time this season, everyone's like, oh, UW's done. And then Penix is just cool as a cucumber, throwing out John Candy references, just walking the team down the field for the for the championship-bound touchdown score. Um, so there you have it, folks. We'll see which one of us is closer to the truth. Texas is probably going to win by 60. We're both going to feel like morons, but... Well, in in four days, you'll get another podcast from us talking about it and breaking it down. So that's gonna be that's gonna be an interesting one. And who knows, we might be talking about UW Michigan next week. Heck yeah, baby! Uh, I'm I'm hoping we do. Uh, why don't we take a quick break? And when we come back, we'll uh, dive into our last segments. All right, John, we are back, and we're switching it up on you. Before we go with more football, listeners, we got to talk Mariners signing Mitch Garver, a two year. $24 million contract. Uh, the biggest free agency contract of all time for Jerry DePoto in his tenure with the Mariners. That is <laughs> disgusting. Jesus Christ. Yeah. We're going to have to talk about that more later. Yeah, that I think what it is is he just like he likes working in the trade market. We just, you know, that's where he sits pretty. And yeah. I think going for this, a DH style player, this does eliminate the need for Jorge Soler or anybody like that. Um, but it does mean that the, on the trade block is Bryce Miller and Brian Wu trying to get a Randy Rosarena type player. I think that's a huge, huge deal that could be coming later. Please, please. I'm but, begging you. <laughs> but let's talk Mitch Garver. So last year for Texas, he hits in, in 87 games, 344 plate appearances, 19 home runs, a 270 average with a 370 on base and a 500 slugging. 
a WRC plus of 138. He was 38% better than the average MLB player. That's great. 270, love seeing that. We need more of that in our lineup. Obviously yeah. not your favorite stat, but you know I love average. 19 home runs in 87 games. That's a really good qualifier. Yeah. Because you're like, oh, 19 home runs, but 500 slugging? What? 87 games. Almost half the season. So projected as a guy that could be a 30 home run guy. You'd almost expect him to be a 30 home run guy. Yeah. Playing next to Julio, which would be huge. Yeah. I think he's... Mitch Garber is basically the, like best, best version, like Tom Murphy 2.0, 3.0. Like, Tom Murphy was good in, he played like 20 games last year or whatever it was. Yeah, and he we, was should, we should just not, we should not compare him to Tom Murphy. <laughs> well, I think, so they're both like right-handed kind of slugging bats, but Mitch Garver's, even though there's kind of some injury concern, health concerns, he's much more consistent than Tom Murphy, and he's not going to have to play catcher. Tom Murphy, when he'd play, he would play catcher, and Mitch Garver was a catcher for most of his career, and his like th- with Cal Raleigh and the guy that we got from Arizona, Z- Zavala, um, he's not going to have to play catcher. He's going to be our DH, and he can focus on hitting and just like being consistent at the plate, which I think will allow for more power. His his 2024 Fangraphs projections are 235 average, 24 home runs, 327 on base, 440 slugging with a WRC plus of 115. So they expect some regression, and they also expect him to play 122 games, which I think is more accurate. Um, Just to clarify, in his career, the most games he's played in a season was a hundred in 2018 for Minnesota, and that's that's what I'm saying. He's not going to have to play catcher. He's he's out of the catcher role because we have Cal Raleigh, and I think we have another backup catcher. Fair. He's going to be DHing every single game. That's a okay. That's a good point. I was wondering why. I guess at catcher, you're just getting less, yeah. less reps. You just less reps, and it just makes you that much more tired, that much less productive. Yeah. Um, so that'd be, that'd be nice to see if we could get a bump from him by, yeah, relieving him of that duty and just letting him focus on what he does best. Yeah. Um, and I think the only reason he doesn't play 160 is because Cal Raleigh jumps into that DH role half the time when Cal Raleigh's on a on an off day. Yeah. So, so we'll see. Statistically speaking, why, do we necessarily want Cal Raleigh jumping in on those? Unless we're just trying to give him rest. I think it'll be... Garver is statistically the better hitter. Yeah, I think it'll be against righties on a Cal Raleigh off day. Cal Raleigh will DH so that Garver, you know, they love their lefty-righty splits, the Mariners do, and uh, Garver's an only righty hitter, so Cal will jump in as DH and be a just power-hitting lefty. I'm so I'm so glad you're here, man. <laughs> Carrying my ass on these baseball conversations. I think this was a great signing. I, I agree. Um, two years, he's 32 years old. So I'm glad they didn't sign him to an eight-year deal. You know, two years, you know you're going to get... Baseball players age like wine, so I'm not worried about the early to mid-30s, but I'm glad we're not diving too deep into his late 30s with this deal. $12 million a year for a baseball player is very reasonable for a player of Garver's caliber. I'm a little surprised he didn't command more value elsewhere. Because when you are 32, you're looking for that six-year deal. Um, And... Yeah, the fact that we got him at that value for those years with what he's been producing for Texas, um, I think is exciting. And as you noted, it's not the big swing. Like if this is all if this is all they do, I will be disappointed. But if they manage to get an Arena or similar caliber player into this program, and then we have Arena and Julio and JP and Mitch suddenly this offense is starting to look a lot more interesting to me. Um, so I think he's a great 
tertiary signing. You know, if Garver is your third best offensive performer, you're starting to have a more dynamic offense. If he's you know, your second best, I think you're in trouble. Yeah. Uh, I think he's just a better Teoscar Hernandez, too. Like, Teo was good last year. He's what we wanted Teo to be. Yeah, yeah. Because Teo had his ups and he had his downs. Yes, Teo like, had the second most strikeouts in the MLB, I believe, last year behind Gino. Yeah. And God damn, that can't be true. I think I think it was, or maybe maybe somebody passed him, but at one point it was like Gino had the most, two. Teo had the second most, and Kelnick had like the fifth most. Oh, like it Jesus was bad. Christ. Um. So. Yeah, Hernandez carried us for portions of the season last year, but he was also a lodestone around our neck for certain players. He was streaky as hell. Yeah. Garver has a higher walk percentage. He walks more and a lower K percentage, so he strikes out less. That just means he's a smarter batter. He's just a smarter batter, and especially with more games under his belt at the DH spot, I think he'll have just as much power as Teo provided, but he will not be causing all of these strikeouts with two men on. He'll be able to at least move the runner or get a sack fly, which I think Teo was... Very, very in- inconsistent at producing. Yeah. Uh, the other side of it is Fangraphs projects him to have 1.7 war. He had 2.1 war last year. I think he'll have about two. I think he'll be a very, very good DH. Like, I think he's going to be, in terms of DHs, there's not a ton of amazing ones in the MLB, but I think he'll be the fifth best DH, honestly. Like, I think he's going to be the fifth best hitting DH um, in all of baseball, which is going to be really, really good for the Mariners. Nice. Yeah, that's that's slick. I'm I'm happy. I'm happy about it. The fact that that is the biggest free agent signing Depoto's ever had is mind-bogglingly gross. I know you don't know this, so I'm going to tell you it right now. AJ Pollock was the biggest one last year, ever, oh and it was god. one year of seven million. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, oh, good lord! Oh mercy! How the hell are we supposed to get in a Rosarena type if? $24 million is the biggest check this guy's ever signed. I mean, Rosarena is making like 15 or something right now. And so if we trade for him, that would be amazing. That's exactly what we want. Yeah. So I, yeah, I guess we'd, we'd trade for him. Um, shit. Well, we'll see. I Like I said, good signing. You're not done, Depoto. <laughs> You're not done. I know he's working in the background. <laughs> get your ass off your hands and get to work. <laughs> So yeah, we both like this deal and are excited for what Garber brings to the Mariners. Uh, I'm a little nervous that they're going to try and shoot for a lefty bat just because they're kind of right-handed dominant with Julio and Garber at the Don't power spot. Worry about but that. But they can't. Yeah, they can't worry about that. Can't you just got to get hitters. That. They've been good about getting, as you noted, they do like their lefty-righty splits. But like, get talent first and then focus on distribution second. Yeah, they they need a third outfielder, and that's all I care about right now. Correct. A Rosarino would be. That's like tip top of the mountain. I was going to say, I would lose my fucking mind. I would, if they, if they took a step down and went for, I don't I can't think of anybody off the top of my head. Hunter Renfro, maybe who plays mostly first base right now, but like Hunter Renfro, I'd be happy with. I think he's a free agent or maybe he got signed with somebody. Yeah. That wouldn't quite do it for me. I'm going to be honest. I'd I'd be okay with it. Like it would make them that much better than having to start Canzone and Trammell. Correct. You are, you are (laughs) right, but I just, we've already talked. Give me a Rosarena. I want it. He's demanding, Jerry DePoto. <laughs> give me rice sand or give me death. <laughs> All right. Let's move on into some NFL talk. Um, let's break down Seahawks-Titans. 20-17 win for the Seahawks right after they get a 20-17 win against the Eagles. I think they've gotten three 20-17 wins this season, which 
Love is that. exactly what we talked about last week with the Eagles win. The Seahawks are built to go late into games with a close game and then win it on the last drive or the drive before the last and have their defense hold up. Yeah, DK is really NFL Adunze in that when it's the last drive of the game, you know it's going to him. There's just not a lot you can do about it. You yep. can't actually just send three guys at him or else everyone else is wide open. Mm-hmm. And one or two guys, it's like, okay, cool. He's still three inches taller and weighs 70 pounds more <laughs> than whatever poor little scrawny-ass DB you have guarding him. Um, his ability to come through on those, we talked about this last week as well, but his late drive ability is pretty phenomenal. Yeah, they, what did we say? Get the hard one. Get the hard one out of the way. And they did. They did their job. Seahawks, I'm very proud of you. I love you very much. Um, things are opening up. Yeah, Gino had a really good game, 25 for 36 with 227 yards and two touchdowns. Just efficient and smart. It's exactly what we talked about. It was basically Drew Locke's game from the other day, too, against the Eagles. Yeah. That's that's exactly what they want from their quarterback. Just 200 yards and a touchdown or two with no interceptions. I was going to say, we don't want 300 yards and one pick. We don't want that. We want 200 yards and no picks. <laughs> um, that's a really, really good point. Their defense has looked sharp the last two weeks. Obviously, this Titans offense is not the 49ers, but um, doing their job. And they're now eight and seven. They're third in the NFC West. No surprise there. They're currently, where do they sit in the wild card? They have the third wild card. Uh, they're a full game ahead of the likes of the Vikings, the Falcons, and the Packers, and the Saints. God, it's packed. Um, so a full game ahead of four teams that would all love that spot. They're also tied with the Rams for the second wild card. So they're in a good position. And to reiterate, they play the Mason Rudolph Pittsburgh Steelers this week and the worst defense in the NFL in the last week of the season in the Arizona Cardinals. So they've done the hard work. <laughs> now they, they, you just got to do the work. It's not even the hard work anymore. It's just the work. Just just go to the office, man. Just go to the office Correct. and do your job for an hour. Don't ever sleep. <laughs> Set your alarm. Wake up. Get out of bed. Oh, Eat yeah. a balanced breakfast. I don't know what to tell these guys. Yeah, I think the that Titans game was just fine. I think, you know, we had 58 yards of rushing, and the real key was Lockett, Smith and Jigba, and uh, Metcalf having all decent games. Um, and I think, yeah, it's exactly what we've been asking for. Derrick Henry had kind of a huge game, but we were able to hold him down with Tannehill as the starting QB, which we love to see. Um I think people will be a little concerned with the Steelers because of how they just walloped the Cincinnati Bengals last week, 34-11, to and that was Mason Rudolph's first game back. I think that's not representative of how the Steelers team is. There are They are fighting for a playoff spot. They are 8-7, yeah, just they, like us. They have a lot of motivation to play, Yeah, but the talent is what might be lacking. The other side of it is they play... I believe the Ravens in their final game, like they need to win. They need to win this game if they want to have a chance of making the playoffs. Yeah, they might already. Their fate may be sealed. Yeah, and that's that's the problem there. I think if if we play, we play at one hundred five on Sunday, and if after the first round of games that they have figured out that they're not going to make the playoff, if they they assume they're going to lose to the Ravens, correct? Um, it's going to be. It might be one of those games where they're just like, hey, throw in the towel, which yeah. I would love because the Steelers team is a little scary with. I, I don't I don't I don't think they're I don't think they're scary. I don't. 
they've, they've lost four of their last six, and the two wins are both against the Bengals. Congratulations to the Steelers. They've got the Bengals figured out. Like, give them credit where it's due, but I don't think that applies to the Seattle team. Um, their defense is solid, but it's not. This is the worst Steelers defense we've probably had in close to a decade. You know, we, we are used to Tomlin producing a top, you know, 10 defense year in and year out. And this team is not. This is a this is probably a bottom 15 defense. Um, and their offense, congratulations on Mason Rudolph for having your best day as a pro last week. Yeah, do it again, I guess. Like, yeah, I, let, I, let's see it. I don't see it happening against the Seahawks. Like, yeah, the Bengals don't have a good... Uh, defensive back core. Like, I think the Seahawks defensive backs will be able to stop because they really don't have many threats on the defensive end or on the offensive receiving end. No. They've they, got Najee Harris, but he's not an explosive running back. No. Najee Harris and Jalen Warren are both ho-hum. Their receivers, you know, Deion, Deion Johnson, Deion Johnson, Deontay Johnson, duh, has had a really disappointing year. Allen Robinson is doing nothing. And so it's all George Pickens. And yeah, George Pickens had the game of his life last week, too. Just to clarify, he had four receptions for 200 yards and two touchdowns. 50 yards per reception. Yeah, he did not dice people up. Am I? Yeah. Am I really? That is not a sustainable box score. I'm not worried about that happening again. Could he have two receptions for 60 yards and a touchdown? Absolutely. Like, am I really worried about him getting four 50-yard passes on this Seattle defense? Just not. That's a that's a great point, John. It I, was really really sloppy, and it carried. That was two hundred of Mason Rudolph's two hundred and ninety passing yards, and both his touchdowns. So four plays aside, Mason Rudolph had ninety yards. Yeah, I'm not. I, I agree with you. I'm not scared. Uh, we just need to talk that down yeah, a little bit. Yeah. yeah, this offense had four massive plays last <laughs> week. <laughs> I think that's that's the big concern. With the Steelers team is the big plays could happen. Yes. Um, and that's how they would beat us if it was going to happen. But we need to tone down the fear of the Steelers. I think it was... We're just as likely to pick Mason Rudolph off three times as he is of hitting Pickens over the top for three touchdowns. Like, you know, those are 50-50 balls and he was four for four on him last week. So, good for him. I like our secondary. I think we've got some size to throw at Pickens. Yeah, I'm not super concerned about it. I think... This game could be one where we, what am I saying? We're not going to run away with it. <laughs> it's, it's the Seahawks. They're going to win 20 to 17 again. That is correct. <laughs> We're probably going to have to come back to do it too. But I, I do feel confident. And then, mercifully, Arizona in the last week of the season should be actively trying to lose. They might pull Kyler. Like, they're in full draft pick mode. Yeah. And they want know, Harrison so bad. Correct. Even if they compete this year, or this year, this week. There's just no reason to compete the last week of the season for them. There's just none. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, the Titans were the hard work. This is the work. And next week is the early vacation. Remote so. work. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Remote work. Um, they could zoom in and still win that game. Um, so, yeah, just do it. I, I don't think I have anything else to say on the Steelers game. Just yeah. do it. We've like, talked We've talked big matchups. I think Tariq won. It's... There's been some interesting stories for the Seahawks this season. Tariq Woolen has been, he's gotten taken out of a couple games. And then Jamal Adams has not played the last couple weeks because of something he said on Twitter. So, love that. Some interesting, some interesting things going on. Um, and we'll probably talk about those later in the season, you know, once we, once we're done 
having the Seahawks play, you know? Correct, <laughs> correct. Like, yeah, we can get into the moral quandaries once we know how we finish <laughs> in proper NFL form. Um, but yeah, other than that, I'm excited for this game. It's going to be fun, but it's not the biggest game on radar because of the college football playoff. Like, this, this is going to be, I'm going to be in New Orleans and having a great time in the French Quarter, and I don't really care about the Seahawks tomorrow. Yeah, I've got, I've got, I'm in a couple fantasy football championship games. I don't have any Seahawks or Steelers. This game might not make it on the tally, but we'll see. I do, I do need Metcalf to score at least one touchdown because I'm in our fantasy championship. That's right. That's a that'll be big for you. I'm gonna, need, I'm gonna need some points because the guy I'm playing against has Jalen Hurts and Dak Prescott. Oh my god, this team is gross. But you know who's better than them is Joe Flacco. So that's right, Dak before Dak. <laughs> um, all right, why don't we move on to uh, Value Dogs? Yeah, this we all the fantasy talk. We might as well just talk all NFL. Yeah, yeah, let's break it down. All right, welcome back to Value Dogs, brought to you hopefully by Costco. Costco, give us money, please. You need to feed my family. Um, do week, you want first pick or do you want me to have first pick? Week 17. I want first pick this week. I gave you first pick last week and it was disastrous. I can't believe I didn't get in on the Baltimore game. Yeah. I, I went against my gut and it bit me in the butt. I think we've learned we got to jump on the games that we agree on. Yeah. Um, but some quick, quick stats from last week. It was a rough week for John, but not a rough week for underdogs. They went nine, six, and one last week, and John went zero and three. So I, I picked, I picked three of the six. Yeah, fifty percent. Um, and granted, I went one and two. So combined, we picked five of the six losses for underdogs. That is horrible. <laughs> that is horrendous. Oh my god. Yeah, I think I. We that, picked, like we've had a bad weeks where we both went zero and three, but that was the worst week statistically that we could have had. Absolutely, because it was also a good week for the underdogs. Yeah. At least our previous bad weeks have been like bad weeks for the dogs. Wow, that is that's embarrassing stuff. So our our statistics in relation to the underdogs against the spread definitely went down. Uh, but we're ready to pop right back up and throw some punches. Record wise, I'm I'm close to tying you, buddy. You are sixteen twenty three and three. Oh my. God. I am 17, 24, and 1. Guys, we're making you money. <laughs> this is fantastic. I hope we go 0-3 again this week. <laughs> Once again, you just want to avoid 500, and you're making your listeners money. We are making you guys a lot of cash if you're betting against what we say. So uh, that's great. I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. Um, well, I hope I go 0-3 again. And with that being said, I'm going to continue to do my best. <laughs> and with my first pick... There are a lot of good dogs this week. I'm not going to have an issue finding three, but with my first pick, I'm taking the Miami Dolphins plus three and a half against the Baltimore Ravens. Um, why is the line three and a half? We all know why. Baltimore just ate San Francisco's lunch, who we all thought was the best team in the NFL. Baltimore is now holding the belt for supposed the best team in the NFL. Um, why am I taking the Dolphins? couple things. One. This game does not matter for Baltimore in terms of seeding. They have handily secured the number one overall seed in the AFC. They have a tiebreaker against San Francisco. Not that that would come up in the Super Bowl. But um, they just they don't need this for the number one seed. They're coming off a couple massive games that Baltimore has played great in and really cleaned up. And at some point, you're going to get the like emotionally deflated game of like, and I think it's coming this week. They just beat the best team in football in a 
really an outstanding way, you know, how much energy are they really going to bring to this Miami game? Second thing is, Miami's offense is amazing. I, I think they they might have the best offense in football when Tyree Kill is playing. Obviously, I still think the Niners are the most well-rounded team, but I don't think Baltimore is going to be able to slow them down the way they slowed San Francisco down because, you know, Tua just doesn't make a lot of mistakes because he only hits wide-open receivers. Um, so I think they're going to score points, and then it's can Baltimore keep up scoring? Uh and it's three and a half. Three and a half is a lot of points. They could still lose by field goal and win this bet. I, I think that's good value. Yeah, I think my main concern is the Dolphins do not have Jalen Waddle, but they've proven they proved earlier this season that they don't really need Jalen Waddle. Correct. Bill's the indispensable one. Waddle seems to be dispensable. Yeah. So I, I like the pick. I had them on my backups, but I'm going to take them off because I don't want them anymore. Um, with my used with my first pick of the week seventeen value dogs, I'm going to go with the Falcons plus two and a half against the Bears. I'm all in on this NFC South uh, eight and eight tie in week seventeen going into week eighteen. There's a lot. There, this is a huge NFC South week because the Saints are going to beat the the, Buc- the Bucks, which I'm not going to pick in my value dogs because that would be scary. Well, I'm not thinking <laughs> about it. We'll we'll get there, but. If the Falcons can win this game and the Saints can beat the Bucks, the, all three of those teams are going to be eight and eight. That's going to be exactly what the NFL wants to set up an interesting NFC South game in the final week. Um, and I think the Falcons are better than the Bears. Like their quarterback's not as good as Justin Fields, but Heineke's proven to be enough. And they kind of smacked the Colts around last week, twenty-nine to ten. They did. The Bears lightly, lightly smacked the Cardinals in the butt, won twenty-seven to sixteen. But it's the Cardinals. So yeah, there there is an interesting matchup here with this Justin Fields revitalized offense and this really really solid Atlanta defense. They are not top five, but they might be six. You know, like they're a they're a really good, well rounded defense. Mm-hmm. Talk about a defense built around high quality linebackers. Um, and yeah, I'm just really curious to see how Justin's able to read the field, how he's able to use his legs. Um, that is, I think, the matchup of the game. Because Atlanta's offense and this Bears defense are both just like confusing and ho hum, and will either give you something really good or something really bad. It's hard to predict. The two known entities are this, yeah, kind of fun Bears offense and this quite stingy Atlanta defense. I think you're on the right side of those points. I'm a little surprised. To I would see. I would not have taken this if it was Bears plus two and a half. Or Correct. Like, yeah, Falcons minus two and a half. But. I, I would have expected the line to be flipped the other way. That's a line that surprises me, especially after how good Atlanta looked last week. And knowing that Arthur Smith's you know head coaching job might be on the table if he can't pull out this division title. So uh, I like that one. God, I'm looking at the NFL lines and it's... Oh, never mind. Sorry. I, I was looking at something interesting, but totally wrong. Um, all right, take your pick. All right, for my second pick, I'm just, I just want to do something kind of fun. I like this pick, but I also just, I want it to happen. I'm taking the Lions plus five and a half against the Dallas Cowboys. You know, Cowboys are awesome. I don't need to explain how they could win this game by 14 points. They, there's a lot of ways they could do it. Mm-hmm. Um, this, I should just say the Cowboys, this game shouldn't matter that much to them. With the Eagles win last week. Um, they've more or less locked up the division title. They would have to lose both of these next two games. Um, both are against the Giants, or one of one of the two is against the Giants. So the odds are they're just 
the Eagles have got this on lock. How much the Cowboys want to take their foot off the gas is up to them, but they are not hyper-motivated. Neither are the Lions. They also have their division firmly in hand, but they just, they've looked so iffy and so up and down these last five weeks. Um, this game, I think, is really big for the public's perception of them and for the confidence of the team themselves to be like, okay, yeah, we had some rough outings there. We just beat the Cowboys going into the playoff. We can beat anybody. You know, let's go. So I think Dan Campbell's going to get them really riled up. They have an awesome offense when everything is working and a scrappy defense. I could see them keeping it close at the least. Five and a half is a lot of points. It's a lot of points. Uh, Just keep it within a touchdown and you'll be safe. So we'll see. But I would love to see the Lions pull this one out or at least keep it close. Yeah. Don't really have any more comments on that one. It's going to be a good game. I think it's going to be high scoring, but it's whether they can keep pace with the Cowboys. Yeah, and that's tonight too, so That'll be good. Um, I am going to take, with my second pick, the Raiders, plus three and a half against the Colts. I'm going back to the well. I really like the Raiders this week. They've um, been killing it recently. They just beat the Chiefs. Obviously, they didn't have any offensive touchdowns and didn't throw a pa- didn't complete a pass in the last three quarters. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that can't be true. That's true. Oh, my God. It was, it was pretty bad. Um, but that's the Chiefs, and the Raiders still technically have playoff aspirations. Like they, they're seven and eight. Um, I think the Colts are eight and seven or something like that. But well, not anymore. I think they're they're probably seven and eight or eight and eight. Yeah, they're kind of they're the Colts are fading, which is which is fair. They oh, they're eight and seven. You're right. Yeah, they they are have the same record as the Steelers, but I think they have just as hard of a last couple weeks. And the Raiders are you know fired up under their new head coach. And I'm I'm kind of all in on the Raiders sneaking into the playoffs right now. Yeah, like I, this game, it's big for both teams, and the Colts will be motivated. They have a playoff spot lined up for them if they can win these next two against the Raiders and the Texans, which are both winnable games. Um, they aren't playing Baltimore or anybody like that. So that's, I don't think that's a factor at all, competitive edge. But to your point, Raiders have just been, they've been rolling. They've mm-hmm. been rolling recently. Their defense looks awesome under this new head coach. They've been covering the spread a lot. <laughs> they have been covering the spread a lot. So I don't, I don't think that's a bad pick. Yeah, three and a half points is a great amount too in in a game like that. Yes, yeah. Anytime you get over the three margin, that's that's big time. Um, all right, with my third and last pick for this week's value dogs. Gosh, there are some interesting ones. Yeah, gosh, I don't want to. You can't make me. Ah, fuck. Okay, I'm taking the New York Jets. Oh, that game already happened, buddy. Uh, Jets Browns already happened. Yeah, that happened. That's that happened Thursday. <laughs> I was going to warn you, but I figured you would see it. Oh, that's right. We literally yeah. talked about that. Yeah. Well, was that a good call by me? Did no, they lost? <laughs> <laughs> this, is this is what I bring to the table. This is what I bring to the table. They lost by seventeen. Oh my goodness gracious! All right, you get a vetoed pick for that. I'm going to take my third pick. And yeah, you yeah. You go ahead. You go. I need to rethink some things. <laughs> Uh, All right, with my third pick for the Week 17 value dogs, I am going to take, I thought you were going to take this because it's just it's just so much, the Patriots plus 14 against the Bills. They've already won this this season against the Bills, and they don't want to win, but Bill, Jel- Bill Belichick likes to keep it close. And yeah. actually, I take that back. They want to win. Bill, Bill Belichick is... They won last week. 50% chance that he stays with the Patriots this after or during this offseason, and it's like he could go anywhere. Um, so he doesn't care if the Patriots have a good draft pick. And to that regard, Bill Belichick wants to get that win record. And I think 
plus 14 is just kind of disrespectful to Bill Belichick and the Patriots. The Bills are not that good. They've looked good recently. They Didn't they just only beat like a really bad team by three? Like, didn't they have a really bad week last week? Yeah, they they just pulled it out against the Chargers. Yeah, they beat the Chargers by two. But Easton Stick had the game of his life. <laughs> yeah, and this is Mac Jones' Super Bowl. Every every year against the Bills, both those games. Well, it's going to be Bailey Zappi. Even better. (laughs) (laughs) Even better indeed. I think, yeah, the fact that the Chargers just played up to to the level of the Bills, I think the Patriots are better than the Chargers with Easton Stig at quarterback. It's like, what are we we talking about? They've still got a good defense. We'll we'll see what happens. It's 14 points, John. It's a lot of points. It's a lot of points. That's actually, I like that pick at 14 points. That's like, they could be up by 21 and just be like, okay, now we're just running the football until the game's over and you win by 10. Like, yeah, 14 is a ton. Okay, yeah, nothing to add there. I like that pick a lot better than my automatic loss. (laughs) Um, And with my last pick... We should. This should be last one of the season too. We got we got week nineteen nonsense last next week. Do we want to do next week? Um, we'll we'll do it, but take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. Um, with my last real pick of this season, I am picking a game that would have sounded way funner week one than it sounds now, <laughs> and that is the Bengals plus six and a half against the Kansas City Chiefs. Gosh. We, we, we would have thought that would have been an AFC championship game, and yeah. now it's looking like the poo-poo parade. <laughs> um, I'm picking Jake Browning against Patrick Mahomes because he's just better. He's just better. He's <laughs> just a more talented quarterback. Uh, Chiefs are coming off their worst loss of the Patrick Mahomes era, in my opinion. The fact that they lost to a team that didn't throw a pass in the last three quarters is hilarious. Kelsey was throwing his helmet around. Mahomes is chewing out linemen and Getting mad at his brother, probably. Um, <laughs> it's it's go. It, things are going bad. Things are going bad in Red Town. Listen, this is what the NFL wants. They want the Chiefs to lose this game so that the, the Raiders can come in next week and be eight and eight, and the Chiefs are nine and seven. And if the Raiders win and the Chiefs lose, that's the AFC West winner. That's hysterical. If they lose, if the Chiefs, if that happens, I think it will have been the biggest division lead blown in the history of football. They were nine and four, nine and five at least. Yes, I think they were nine and four. And also at that time, every AFC West team was like three games <laughs> below five hundred. Like yeah. it wasn't just that they were good; it was that everyone else was awful. Yeah. So I, I think this is kind of what the NFL wants. They want the Bengals to win this game to make the Chiefs last week interesting, yeah. so that they can call Taylor Swift and be like, "Hey, do your fans want to watch some football?" Yes. And the Bengals had a bad week last week. Jake Browning was awful in the first half and then put together a decent second half. This offense still has talent. You know, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon. You know, they've got players. And then their defense is okay. I, I you know, it doesn't seem to take much to slow down the Chiefs these days. So Yeah, the um, Chiefs slow themselves down. <laughs> I just, I think it's a lot of points too, six and a half points. I think the Bengals can keep it close. I think the Chiefs are swirling. And the Bengals still have a shot at a playoff spot as well, so they're going to be playing for a lot. So that's my zero and three picks for the week. I always win zero and four. <laughs> do you got do you got a rancid dog to go zero and five? I do. I have a rancid dog this <laughs> week because your rancid dog last week was the Chargers, who proceeded to only Cover. lose by two. Yeah, God damn it! I, <laughs> you're you're like one and six with rancid dogs. I hate 
everything. But my rancid dog this week, ironically enough, is the Steelers plus three and a half. I I really don't think they're going to keep this game close. I I'd love to hear that. I yeah. I, if they do, it's going to be the Seahawks' fault. I don't believe in their offense. Last week was a total fluke, and all you have to do is look at the surficial numbers to understand that. And uh, that only happened against a Bengals team that was shitting bricks in the first half. So um, that those are my picks. That's my rancid dog for the week, and I'm sure they're all going to be right. Surprised you didn't just take the Jets plus seven as your rancid dog. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> All right. Anything else to say before we hop off give this hour and a half long here. pod? Give me out. <laughs> well, if you enjoyed this episode of Sound Up Seattle, please feel free to give us a follow on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. You can find Sound Up Seattle on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram, all at Sound Up Seattle, all lowercase, all one word. You can email us. We still haven't gotten an email, and I really want one. It's at soundupseattle at gmail.com. Yeah, we would on, love guys. your questions, especially post uh, at college football playoff. We'd love to hear what you guys had to say. We want some hate mail from our bad value dogs. That's, that's true. That's the shit that fuels us to be better. <laughs> uh, you can find me, Tyler, at TyCard50, everywhere that's important. And you can find John. What game are you playing right now? I'm back in the Mass Effect, baby. Oh, did you finish Elden Ring? Yeah. You were you were on the brink before I left for a couple days. I am Elden Lord. Nice work. Proud of you. Thanks, pal. <laughs> My parents aren't. <laughs> Uh, we hope you have a great, great New Year's. We appreciate all of the support for the for the year and are ringing in 2024 with excitement for this upcoming year. It's going to be great, man. And obviously, this week, let's go dogs. Go baby. dogs, baby.